Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. What a gorgeous day this is. In fact, I want you to do something with, if you would, uh, please just turn to the person next to you and say, you are looking really amazing on this gorgeous day. Real quick, do that. That, hey, you know, that was a little awkward, huh? I don't even know those people sitting around me. Good to have you with us. This is our, uh, we're ending, we're finishing up. This is the big finale for our prayer series, Experiencing All in Intimacy with God. We're going to look at the prayer prayers. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 13. Probably a, a text you're certainly familiar with. Maybe you've even memorized it. And we're going to begin a brand new teaching series next weekend. Take a look at your sermon notes, grab those, and you can follow along with this intro. There's a a couple weekends a year, actually there's more than a couple weekends, there's a lot of weekends a year that I really enjoy, and uh, one is Easter, and the other, uh, one of the many, is the baptism weekends, when we do water baptisms, and so far, last night, this early service this morning, it's been wonderful, been absolutely uh, great to see what God does best, and that's transform people's lives as those who have uh, encountered Jesus or making a public declaration of their faith in Him. I'm going to be uh, just teaching just for, uh, it's going to be a short message this morning, and you guys know how I define short, don't you? Uh, no, short for me is uh, less than, yeah, hour. No, actually, we're going, to hit, we're going to go for about 30 minutes, and then we'll do our uh, baptism party as we uh, wrap up this particular teaching series. Look at your notes there. The whole world is starving for an experience of the greatness and the goodness of God, and Jesus gives us the means to it in just a few words. Wouldn't you like to be able to come face to face with the Father and King of the universe every day, to pour out your heart to Him, and to sense Him listening to you, and then experiencing him lavishing his love upon you. Yes, I would. He gives us the means to that right here in the Lord's Prayer and what we're going to look at. Everything we need is in it. It's my favorite prayer. I pray this regularly, consistently, and I'm going to give you some insight of what I use uh, as I pray through this prayer. This prayer is not to be a meaningless mechanical mantra but a powerful personal pattern for prayer, kind of a, a launch pad for, for experiencing awe and intimacy with God. And so we're going to walk through that in just a moment. But let's begin with, once again, a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we'll dive into our text and unpack these notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. What an amazing day you've given us to live for you, to experience you. We know the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Teach us how to pray so that your amazing grace will abound in our lives so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work for our joy and your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Take a look at this. Now, I, I'm going to do this. I, I've done it all the uh, last, uh, last service, last night's service, and I think we can do it here. Um, how many have memorized the Lord's Prayer? How many know it by memory? Okay, yeah. Like, like the last couple services. And so what I'm going to have you do, we're going to recite it together. 
Now, don't mess me up by throwing a bunch of weird words in there. I'll probably throw some weird words in there too because we all learned it with a different language, different way, but we're going to all do it together. If you need a cheat sheet, you can look at your notes because we've got each of the headings with that. Or you can look up here on, on the screen. And so we've got it right there in front of us. You guys ready to do it together? How many grew up in a church where you did this regularly almost every week? Okay. Don't be messing me up, okay? Okay, my mom taught, uh, taught us kids this uh, growing up. Before we went off to school, we would go through the Lord's Prayer, and so certainly a, a great prayer. You guys ready? One, two, three. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You guys didn't mess me up too bad. I probably messed you up, didn't I? Okay, it was me and what was written up there. Sorry. So this is God's word to us this morning. And we're going we're gonna to kind of break it down step by step and work through it. So first of all, you can see on your notes. Oh, by the way, how many noticed that there's no fill in the blanks this morning? What's up with that? That's messing me up. Okay, so what you're going to do, I had too much to put on the nose. So those of you that need bifocals, you really need bifocals to read the notes. But I wanted to give you a complete list of what to use. You can take this with you to use as your, your prayer time. If you don't know how to pray, you work through this list. So you can circle key phrases, key words. If there's enough room there, you can write some extra thoughts there. So notice, first of all, our Father who art in heaven. This is the basis of prayer. Father. Abba, Daddy. The word Father for some conjures up a negative image. We talked about that the last couple weeks. So Jesus qualifies the term by saying, Our Father who art in what? In heaven. So he qualifies the term by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, heaven not location but perfection. Now listen to me. He is a Father unlike you have ever known or experienced. This is the point that he's trying to get across to us. Now, we know that we can only call him Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus made that clear. One of the statements that he made in, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So to call him Father is because of the person and work of, of Christ, because only through the indispensable and costly love of Christ on the cross can we be his children. So we, we are taken from in the category of being enemies of God to children of God, not through our own performance, but through the performance of Jesus Christ, and we put our faith in Christ. That's what many are doing here this morning, this weekend, by making a public declaration of their faith in Jesus, what he has done for them. They are children of God. What are the implications of that? I wrote a couple thoughts here. Now, when Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray, he did not say, our creator who art in heaven or our king who art in heaven, because those would be both true about God, but he says, Father. And here's the idea that you need to understand. A creator owns you, a king rules you, but if that creator or king is your father, all of his thoughts, feelings, and actions are directed toward your best interest. That's pretty astounding. The creator, the king of the universe, thinks about you and cares about you more than you will 
ever know. I think David, King David, when he wrote Psalm 8, I think that kind of dawned on him and it was overwhelming to him. And he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the stars and the moon, how you have set them in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So David was reflecting on that. The, The creator of the universe thinks about me and he cares about me. Next thought on your notes, the more I know the father heart of God for me, the more I'll rest in him completely. Hey, uh, do me a favor here just uh, a minute. I want you on the count of three to take a deep breath. Hold it in just for a a second or two and then exhale. One, two, three. Deep breath. Exhale. Rest, rest, rest. See, the more you understand the father heart of God for you, the more you're going to rest. You're going to have deep, deep rest in him. You're going to rest in him completely. You know what? I think we get too stressed out sometimes because we don't understand his love for us. So the more I understand the Father heart of God, the more I rest in him completely, I enjoy him deeply. No one will bring more satisfaction, nothing will bring more satisfaction than than knowing him, experiencing him. I'll enjoy him deeply and then then I'm gonna share him contagiously. Can't help but do that. Another favorite verse of mine is 1 John 3, 1. He says, for you know, uh, how, how does that go? Anybody help me out here? Let's see. How great is the love the Father, thank you, thank you very much. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us. I love that word, lavished. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us. You gotta say it just like that, lavished. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's what he says. It's almost like, oh my goodness, let that Let that go from your head to your heart and you'll never be the same. The only person in the universe whose opinion counts looks at me and he finds me more valuable than all the wealth in the world. And the more you know God's approval of you, the less you'll fear the disapproval of others. Apart from the physiological contributions, inordinate anxiety, anger, depression is a daily saying to God I don't think you have my best interest in mind. Apart from the physiological contributions, lack of sleep, not good good nutrition, chemistry imbalances, whatever that might be, when we are anxious about life or bitter or even depressed, we're sending a message to God saying, I don't really think you have my best interest at heart. We need to come back to this, this understanding, our Father who art in heaven. And then we need to move to hallowed be thy name. That's adoration. So you got the basis, and then you got adoration. You'll see each of these are different kinds of prayer. Hallowed. When was the last time you used the word hallowed? My wife is so hallowed. My car is hallowed. No, we don't use that word, and yet the, the translators don't know what other word to put in there because it's a pretty significant word. Hallowed means sacred, set apart of ultimate value. Notice also name. Name speaks of character, attributes, renown. So this is what he's saying. This is what he's praying. May God be the one in whom you most adore, cherish, trust, and hope in. Why would, why would we need to start there? Because our tendency is to put our, to cherish, 
as I said here, to adore, cherish, and trust, and put our hope in a lot of other things other than God. And so we need to kind of recalibrate our hearts and get back to what's most important to us. Hallowed be your name, your character, who you are, God. I want to make sure that you're at the center of my life. Help me to see, savor, and show how beautiful and desirable you are beyond anything in this world. And so I, I gave you, I've got a whole list. I absolutely love this list. And so I, when I pray this prayer, oftentimes as I'm working through the lists of the Lord's Prayer, and sometimes late at night as I'm laying in bed, and I go through this, or early in the morning before I hit the floor, I'll go through this prayer, and sometimes even on the tandem bike with my wife, and she hears me praying and I, as I kind of work through this. And I gave you kind of a list of the, the Old Testament compound Hebrew names for God, and this is the idea here. God wants to meet you where your heart is most restless. And there is an attribute to God that will meet you and meet your needs specific to where you're most restless what you're most struggling with. Let me walk through this list for you. You notice here, first of all, forgive my sins. So God wants to forgive my sins. Jehovah Sidkenu. Jeremiah 23, 6. This is where you find this uh, compound Hebrew name for God. The Lord is our righteousness. That means that he forgives all of our sins. God wants to make me whole. Jehovah Makedesh. Exodus 31, 13. I am the Lord who makes you holy. So you get beat up by life, it's just saying, hey, you know what, I can, I can bring wholeness to your life. I can bring completeness to your life. I can bring contentment to your life. God wants to relieve my stress. How many could use a little relief to stress here this morning? Okay, yeah, I think we all could. Jehovah Shalom, Judges 6, 24, the Lord is peace. God wants to be with me, Jehovah Shema. Ezekiel 48, 35, the Lord is there, or the Lord is here. God wants to heal my hurts, Jehovah Rapha. Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord who heals. God wants to supply my needs. Jehovah Jireh, Genesis twenty two fourteen. 14, the Lord will provide. Uh, God wants to fight my battles. Jehovah Nissi, uh, Exodus 17, 15, the Lord is my banner. You know, they go into war, they'd have these banners. That's the idea here. And then God wants to guide my life. Jehovah Rohi. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, believe me, if you walk through that enough, you'll be able to memorize it. I've got it memorized, all of these different ideas that I'm sharing with you. And so as I pray, as I kind of walk throughout the day, I can pull these from my arsenal, and it helps me out as I kind of navigate through the day, as I work through the issues of my life. Now, let me ask you this question. How do you know if you are adoring something or someone more than God? Because that's what this is. It's about recentering uh, our lives. Hallowed be your name. How do you know if you are adoring something more than God? Turn to the person next to you and see if they can answer that question for you. Real quick, do that. How do you know you're adoring something or someone more than God? Okay, here we go. You guys are awfully quiet. Did I stump you on that one? Or just, you're kind of thinking deep here, aren't you? Maybe you shared some good answers. Here's my answer for this, is you look at your, you look at your secret prayer life. And by the way, that's the context of this text, the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the sixth chapter of Matthew, which is part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he talks about giving to the needy, and he says, do that in secret. 
And he talks about the Lord's Prayer, and he says, pray in secret. And he talks about fasting, he says, do that in secret. He's talking about solitude. Now, remember last weekend, we talked about this idea of solitude, that what you do and what you think about, what you daydream about in your spare time is the true God of your heart. It's awfully frightening. When I begin to discover that, I begin to realize that I adore a whole lot of other things other than God. It was very convicting for me. And so that's what he's talking about. What do you do in your secret? What do you do in the secret? What do you do in your solitude? Now, here's, here's as we kind of walk through this. So you look at your solitude. What motivates you to pray? If what you most adore is God, then you'll be praying all the time. In solitude, your heart will be constantly going back to God, spending time with him, practicing his presence. But if you adore anything more than God, then your prayer life will only heat up when what you adore more than God is at stake. Have you ever noticed what kind of drives us to prayer sometimes when our family's not doing so well? Our friends are crashing and burning? Or, man, I just got laid off from my job and I oftentimes see people really kind of hitting their knees and so what is that telling them? Especially if they haven't been praying up to that point. It tells you that probably your job, now that it's at stake, that's probably more important to you than God because otherwise you would be spending time with him up to that point and probably have the arsenal that you need to be able to face whatever you're coming into. And so it kind of tells us a lot about what's going on in our life when we begin to look at our, our solitude. Adoration is not just to dominate our prayers. That's why it's at the front end of the Lord's Prayer. But it's to dominate all of our lives. Just to adore God. Hallowed be your name. Because as I said last weekend, our concept of God determines the quality of our relationship with God. If when you think about God, if your heart isn't soaring towards him, see, worship rises or falls with your concept of God. If your worship was kind of weak this morning, because you have a small concept of God. You need a new view of God. You need to begin to understand who it is that loves you and adores you, gave his life for you. You need to have that renewed. That begins to stir your passion within you. And so adoration... Uh, not, so, so our concept of God determines the quality of our relationship with God. And adoration will impact my, and notice as we work through this list, so we, we talked about the basis, which is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, that's intercession, and then we'll go to petition. So adoration will impact my intercession, petition, confession and forgiveness and aspiration. That's where we end with the, with the different phrases. So let me, let me illustrate this for you real quick. So if I have this small view of God, it's going to impact my intercession. If I look at any situation or person as hopeless, then I have a problem with, with adoration. I have a low view of God. In other words, if I'm like, if I see someone in a crisis situation and I'm not moved to want to pray for them because I believe that God is powerful, can help them, if I'm not, it's because I have a low view of God. You guys tracking with me? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So it's a problem with adoration. I've got a problem with a low view of God. If I'm not interceding for my family and friends, it's probably because I don't think God will do anything. But if I believe that God can impact their lives and touch their lives around the world, people that I'm praying with, it's going to change my intercession. I'm going to begin to pray for people unlike, unlike ever before. As it relates to peti petition, in my life, if my life was dominated by inordinate worry, bitterness, and depression, I have a problem with adoration. 
I don't, I don't really believe that he's in control of my life. I don't believe that he's really guiding and, and orchestrating the events of my life. If I have a, as it relates to confession and forgiveness, if I think that any sin that I have committed or has been committed against uh, me is beyond God's redeeming and restoring grace, then I have a problem with adoration. You guys tracking with me? Okay. We have a problem with, we have a low view of God. If I have a problem with aspiration, as it relates to the very end where we talk about lead me not into temptation but deliver me from the evil one, if I don't think God can calm the storm or calm me in the storm, I have a problem with adoration. Remember, I started this whole message by saying, people, we are starving for an experience of the greatness and goodness of God. That's at the root of all of our issues. That's why he starts prayer like this. We are starving for an experience of, of the overwhelming glory and breathtaking beauty of God. It makes all the difference in the world, not only in our life, but in our prayer. Let's go on to the next one. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is intercession. So when you encounter the God, when you encounter God in the story of Jesus, you get swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that you are forever changed. Next thought on your notes. We have been made a character in and a carrier of the great story of redemption through our Savior, Jesus, of cosmic proportions. Remember when Jesus came and asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they went through a whole list and they say, well, who do you say I am? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And that was the time that Peter stepped up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responded by saying, you got it. Upon this rock, what rock? Peter's confession. People who confess Christ as Savior, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't do what? They won't prevail. So he's saying, wow, people who confess Christ, there's a power in our lives to kick down the gates of hell. So this part of intercession, this is what I do. Next thought on your notes. I begin to pray for the presence of God's kingdom to crowd out the efforts of hell in the lives of my family. And I've done this for so long. So it's, our, it's just part of this checklist within my mind. So I'm out there on the tandem bike with my wife and I'm walking through this in my mind and my heart. I pray for my family. I pray for my extended family. I pray for Desert Breeze family. I pray for my friends. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for the city, state, nation, political and spiritual leaders. By the way, let me just talk uh, politics just for a minute. If you're overwhelmed by the condition of our society and, and where we're headed politically, it's because you have a low view of God and what he can do even in the midst of all that's going on. And we need to pray for the whole political climate and where we're headed. But more importantly, know that God's in control. It's that low view of God. We need to get that, we need more adoration in our life to, to raise our view of him. And, and so we pray for the presence of God's kingdom to crowd out the efforts of hell in the lives of people. And you just go through the list. Why do we do that? James 4, 2. We have not because what? We ask not. Also, James 5.16 says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Paul writing to Timothy says, I urge that supplication, prayers, uh, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So here's what's happening when we pray. This is what's going down when we pray. That through prayer, and I've seen this time and time again, through prayer we can bring love where there is hurt, hate, and fear. See, our prayers are invading the darkness with the light of who God is. That's what he was wanting to do. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I actually say that. Say, God, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done in these people's lives. Invade their lives with your presence. Through prayer, we can bring healing where there is sickness and affliction. There's a little girl sitting right over here 
that everybody thought, I mean, even the doctors thought this is an impossibility, she'll possibly die, and she's sitting right here in the service. What a sweetheart, and uh, she's a miracle. She's a, she is an amazing miracle, and I believe that through God's kingdom and through God's presence in her life, the doctors thought it was going to be worse than what it was, what it really, what they found out. She had brain surgery just about a week or so ago, and it's just, it is totally amazing. When I saw her, I was just like, wow, God, you're amazing. Of course, when I heard the news this last week that she was coming home, I was overwhelmed by that, and that's just, that's, that's through prayer. That's through us calling out to God our rescuer, our healer, the one who loves us. Through prayer, we can bring hope where there's depression and despair. Through prayer, we can bring life where there's death. And then the next one, give us this day our daily bread. This is petition. Daily bread is a metaphor for the necessities rather than the luxuries of life. So this is what we do. Next point on your notes, childlike prayer is not just for my needs. So I kind of walk through this idea of my physical needs, my social needs, my psychological needs, my spiritual needs. We'll talk about spiritual needs in a moment. But also for all all to get daily bread. Notice he says, give us. It's not give me, but give us. So, but also for all to get daily bread through a thriving economy, good employment, and just society. One of the reasons why a lot of third world countries don't have that is because they don't have a just society. We need a just society so that we can have good employment and thriving economy. And then I begin to, not just the physical, we don't focus on the physical there only, but you also look at the spiritual. May I find infinite and eternal satisfaction in Christ as the bread of life. So we're dealing with our soul, our spiritual side. Why do we need to do that? Because Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we need that soul satisfaction. John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus told the woman at the well, drink of, uh, drink of this well, you're gonna be thirsty again. Drink of this water, you'll be thirsty again. In other words, yeah, yeah, you can feed yourself physically, you'll get hungry uh, again and again and again, and ultimately that won't satisfy your soul hunger, but I can satisfy your soul hunger. Drink of the water that I will give you and you'll never be thirsty again. That's what Jesus said, and then even Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never go hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. And of course, many of you know Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, why would we pray this in relationship to our spiritual lives? Because sin is what we do when we are not satisfied with God. What drives workaholism? What drives... Uh, greed and envy and people-pleasing and all these other things is a failure to find our deepest satisfaction in God. So this is what I do oftentimes as I'm kind of working through this, is I just take a few moments to find my satisfaction in Him and taste the pace of simplicity. Taste the pace of simplicity. Does my calendar square up with God's priorities for my life? Am I working for or from my identity? Because when I work for my identity, I become a workaholic. I become a perfectionist. But when I'm resting in him and my identity's in him, I'm able to say yes and no to the appropriate things in my life and have some balance to my life and some margin. Also during this time, I taste the place, the place of solitude by giving devotion to God, getting direction from God, enjoying delight in God, growing daily more like God. But I also don't neglect hanging out with other Christians. Once again, he said, give us this day our daily bread, not just physical, but we're talking spiritual. The more we share the heavenly bread between us, 
the more we will have. That's what I love about small groups. We call them life groups here. When I hang out with my brothers in Jesus, oh my goodness, it nurtures me. It helps me. They share the bread of Christ with me as I do with them. Makes a difference in my life. Next point, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is confession and forgiveness. How many have ever seen uh, some of those? I think it's on the Learning Channel or maybe the Discovery Channel where these people are hoarders. Any, have you seen any of those shows where the people are hoarders? I think there's one that's called Buried Alive. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where they're, they're hoarders and they hang on to stuff, they hang on to everything and their, their homes are piled up with all kinds of stuff. And so it's, it's, it's a fascinating show. I've kind of channel surfed and stopped for a little bit. It's a little bit hard to watch. But buried alive, it's about hoarders. So confession and forgiveness is like taking out the trash. Once isn't enough. Otherwise, we will be buried alive. Now listen to me. Some of you are buried alive because God has forgiven you a long time of those sins and, you, and you're letting the enemy continue to haunt and harass you over those sins. So you're almost kind of collecting all these things. And even sins against you. Everyone has been sinned against. And if you hang on to that stuff, you don't take it out, take that trash out, give it to Jesus, you're going to be buried alive. That's the idea. That's why this is so critical. I, I love the story about a, this mom had taught her daughter the Lord's Prayer. And as she was praying through the Lord's Prayer, she overheard her daughter when she came to the point where she was praying this section. She taught her daughter trespasses. How many learned the, the word trespasses there instead of sins? Yeah. And so, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And instead of her saying trespasses, the little girl was saying, and forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those who put, who put trash in our baskets. And, uh, and I love that because that's it. That's it. Forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those who have put trash in our baskets. Because we have people put trash in our baskets. And we put trash in our own baskets. And so we're taking the trash basket and dumping it and giving it to Jesus and saying, hey, here, you, you got this one. And I, I need for you to bring your healing in wholeness to my life. And, uh, and that's, what it's, that's what it's about here. So as we kind of work through this, so sin is adding anything to God as a requirement for my happiness. Am I doing that? So this is a, as I'm processing my own sins. Do I have inordinate desires or emotions? Inordinate emotions would be anxiety, anger, depression, dominating my life. So I, I repent and believe during those times. See, if I love anything, if I love anything more than God, I will crush it under the weight of unrealistic expectations. And in the end, it will be terribly unforgiving and unfulfilling. So I'm kind of looking at my disordered loves and making him the love of my life during this time. How many have ever heard people say this? I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Show of hands. Uh, if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's like setting ourselves up as a higher court than him. The God of the galaxies has forgiven you. You don't, you don't need to forgive yourself. He's forgiven you. That takes care of all of that. Otherwise, that's called idolatry if you're putting yourself up above God. You don't understand the weight of his, of his forgiveness. It's interesting. Jesus compares our being forgiven with our forgiving others. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. There's a correlation between being forgiven 
and forgiving. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. So here's the question for you. It's next uh, thought on your notes. Are there people in your life that you rejoice when they weep and weep when they rejoice? You guys tracking with me there? It's Romans 12, 14 through 15. It actually says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. But has there ever been someone in your life where when you heard bad news about them, deep in your heart you went, serves them right. You've got bitterness. Well, they got what was coming to them. That's called bitterness. Oh, we've all done that. That's what he's talking about. So when I, and there, there are people, I've struggled with that. You know, kind of rejoice. Oh, I'm so glad. They got it. And then I weep when they're, when they're, when they're celebrating success. It's like, oh, they don't deserve it. <laughs> There's something wrong with my heart. There's bitterness in my heart. And the uh, best way to defeat the devil is to forgive your enemies. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, uh, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Hebrews 12, uh, 15 tells us, uh, man, bitterness will keep you from the grace of God and, it'll, and it will cause trouble and defile many when you have that kind of bitterness. And then Matthew 18, 21 through 35 talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant, which is a phenomenal text to read. And what happens is, so the more I understand how much God has forgiven me, the more I'll be able to forgive others. And, and by the way, when you realize that nobody gets away with anything before God, you begin to actually pity your perpetrators uh, if they refuse to repent because they have to deal with your daddy and he's going to come after him. So you kind of like, oh, uh, you shouldn't have done that to me. You don't know who my dad is. And you, you actually begin to pray for him. And that's the idea. The more you rejoice in your own forgiveness, the quicker you'll forgive others. Here's the last point. Here's where we wrap it up. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. This is aspiration. What do you aspire to? Temptation. It can be suffering or an enticement to sin. Um, this can be trial or temptation. So here's the deal as it relates to suffering. Jesus didn't suffer so that we wouldn't suffer, but that when we suffer, we would suffer well. How's that? By showing that he is more desirable than all that life can give or death can take away. Now listen to me, Jesus never promised us a painless or problem-free life. He told his disciples in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he did promise us his presence, his power, and his peace to face anything. And that's part of it. And we can suffer well by putting him on display through our suffering uh, and, and this is the couple of different ways that the enemy can get a hold of us is that we become deceived by the success or the pleasures of life. We're tempted to think that we don't need God. So when things are going well, don't need God, do our own thing, you're being deceived by the pleasures of life. Or you can become disillusioned by the pain of life, tempted to despair, to lose all hope, and to begin and become angrily estranged from God. Here's what we need to do. Process your suffering through your father's love. That's the next point in your notes. I am an adopted child of God by his grace. Now this is kind of what I do as I'm working through this prayer and this is what you kind of talk to yourself. I deserve a much harder life than I have. I know that's not true. Most of us think we deserve a better life than what we have and oftentimes the reason why we're bitter towards God is because we think we think he messed up. 
See, bitterness is beliefs that God somehow messed up with my life. I've, hey, I deserve a much better life than I've got. You, you know what you deserve? What the Bible says that you deserve? Ay, 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 ay. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wage of sin is death. So when you begin to understand that, that rids us of that bitterness. See, worry is believing God is going to get it wrong. Bitterness is believing that God did get it wrong. And then another thing that I, I, as I walk through this, is that I know this isn't punishment because Jesus took my punishment on the cross. And oftentimes people will come to me and say, what am I doing wrong? Is God punishing me? No, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus took all the punishment for you on the cross. This isn't punitive. This is purifying. He's wanting to purify your life. He's wanting to draw you closer to him. And then the next one is there must be a good reason for this because of his loving, wise control of my life as my father. This eliminates cynicism. There's a purpose behind my pain. And ultimately, may you, God, be most glorified in, in us as we are most satisfied in you. And that's kind of where you end. So you guys ready to do a baptism party? Yeah. Here we go. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll baptize a few folks. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for those that are making this public declaration of their faith in you. Help us to use this Lord's Prayer as a powerful personal pattern not just for a conversation with you, but as a life-transforming encounter with you regularly. Father, you loved us so much that you sent your son to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We are forever grateful for the indispensable and costly love of Christ on the cross that has fully purchased our forgiveness of sins and ticket to heaven. But most importantly, the best part of the Christian life is our union and communion with you. God, we pray your blessing on all who are making a public declaration of their faith in Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord through this church ordinance called water baptism. May this be one of those many defining moments in their lives as each one learns to walk with you, live your word, contribute to your work, and make an impact in this world fully devoted to you for your glory and their indescribable and indestructible joy. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Let's do this.